Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robots Radio presents The Cyberbuck Lorecast Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast Where style is just as important as substance Welcome to the podcast where we explore the lore, news, and gameplay of the cyberpunk games And other dystopian worlds I'm your host, Robots Hey there, cyberpunks. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and I'm sorry we couldn't do the episode this week live. I've been fighting a cold and uh, had a recent change to my migraine medicine, so um, my evenings lately have been pretty rough, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm still not, you're, you're going to hear it in my voice, I'm still not 100%. So I, uh, we were planning on discussing Blade Runner because it is such a formative uh, movie in the cyberpunkish kind of future noir sort of genre, I guess you could say. So I had, I posted some questions to Captain Logan to get his take on it, and I'd rewatched the the movie, the original Blade Runner, uh, a few months ago, and I had some thoughts on it, but I wanted to pose the question to him as well. So I. Uh, I got his take on it. He sent me his thoughts and I recently listened to what he sent in. So I'm going to let you guys listen to his take and then I'm going to follow up uh, after that with some thoughts of my own. And I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. If you haven't rewatched Blade Runner recently, especially after watching or after playing Cyberpunk 2077, then do so. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But here, let's transition in and... Take a listen to some of uh, Captain Logan's thoughts about the original Blade Runner movie. Here we go. Hey, all. I hope you're having a good time. Uh, just to kind of bring my thoughts in on the uh, Blade Runner discussion, I was really kind of enjoying this. Uh, this film is one of my favorites. It took me a long time to kind of grasp the understanding and the plot of it. Uh, I remember watching it multiple, multiple times and just enjoying it for what it was, but not really understanding the the depth of it. And having this being something that was based off of the, the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And getting to actually read that uh, late recently, it feels 
a lot more uh, complete as a story and and understanding what they're referencing in the actual film. Um, One of the questions that was brought up that we were going to have on the, the film as a discussion point was, how does it stand up as a film? So for me, Blade Runner uh, can lose you if you aren't listening to the dialogue. The script can allude to aspects of the book that can leave uh, viewers lost if they aren't really paying attention. And the base understanding of androids seeking a means to live longer is no different than humans seeking for the fountain of youth. Um, Deckard acts as kind of our way into the world in a way for uh, viewers to understand and, and maybe judge for ourselves if replicants should be considered human. He's brought into a situation where uh, everyone else has failed and understanding the stakes that are in in this uh, situation, he kind of has to question whether or not he can actually do it himself. In fact, getting into the film right off the bat, he declines the offer and says that he doesn't want to be involved. But considering the way that the world is, uh, it is definitely set up in a way that he feels like he has to, because to not be a cop means that you're not important in this world. Uh, your stature, your status, and your income are all based on your your role. And uh, being a cop definitely affords him some luxuries that he appreciates, even if he is very lonely being as a Blade Runner. Um, being able to watch this film nowadays it's clear that the technology that they had back then uh just did not really take into account what we have nowadays uh i don't think anyone prior to the year 2007 would have guessed that smartphones would be as prominent and prolific as they are today same thing with touch screens uh we we have much better technology nowadays flat screen panel TVs, um, even windows, you know, you look at most films made in the MCC, uh, Iron Man and things like that. We've really come a long way in what we think that technology will be able to look like in the year that this is actually set as a story. I think this film still holds up really well. Uh, I think that the visuals are great. If you take out of the, uh, the technology out of it and just think about what's actually going on, you can really kind of look at the story as a whole and understand what they're trying to get across. And the, the themes, the, the, the idea of what's happening is still relevant today. We are still trying to understand uh, if humans are really human, what makes us human and, and who is to be the judge of that. And as we progress further and further into our future, uh, many people are still concerned about things like AI or artificial intelligence, whether a sentient being can be created from just the, the knowledge and algorithms that are present in our world. And if we can create algorithms to a point where they can start crafting their own language and their own understanding, and they can come into a consciousness of their own based on the information from the internet. And having things like that is scary because as humans, we have that base uh, kind of id uh, idea of, of fight or flight. You know, we want to understand everything. We want to feel like we're in control of everything. And when we bring things into this world like replicants or AI that are better than us, then we start to question if we are still on the top of the food chain. And much like Deckard going against four replicants in Blade Runner, we very much fear the idea of having an AI come in and take control. Just look at movies like The Matrix. So 
as a film, I think Blade Runner does a great job of giving us a way to still understand and uh, empathize with Deckard when he realizes he has to retire these four replicants in the film, but also coming across Rachel at the Tyrell uh, factory and realizing that replicants with the right memories can craft their own existence. And while the memories that they have are fake, what is to say that our memories aren't fake as well? We, much like Rachel, remember our memories because we experience them, but to her, they are just as real. She remembers them as if she had them, but they were implanted, much like the possibility of us having our memories implanted is uh, out there. Many people do believe that we live in a simulation and that all of our memories are just crafted from uh, engineers who've come up with different outlines and different stories, which is why we have similar memories as other people in different areas. It's all location and memory based off of common themes. And even things like this are still brought up in Blade Runner 2049, where uh, memories are crafted from a, a single individual, and then those are used in replicants in the future. I talked a little bit about this uh, before when I was talking about technology, but one of the other points that Tom wanted to bring up was how has this aged as a film? And much like the comments about the CRT TVs versus flat panel uh, LCD or LED screens, things have definitely aged less, uh, but at the same time, they've also aged well. Uh, in in Blade Runner, we don't have flying vehicles. In, in fact, uh, flying vehicles are still eluding us to this day, even though we have technology that could potentially get us to that point. And I think a lot of that is due to corporations. Uh, corporations are what are restricting scientific uh, ability to progress further and further. If you look at Boston Dynamics and what they do with uh, robots, you can see the strides they've made with how they've been able to uh, craft robots that can do almost as much as we can. But given their form and their actual construction, uh, are, are a lot more restricted based on what they can do. And it would not surprise me if we start using things like uh, Boston Dynamic Robots to send out to different planets like Mars, which, if you think about it, is not too different than what we're doing right now with the Mars rover. And realistically, if we can craft an AI that is sophisticated enough to accomplish things on their own and be able to uh, take orders from NASA, from, from Houston, and be able to execute those orders, Orders the way the Mars rover does. If you use that with a Boston Dynamics robot, how different are they from replicants? Replicants are just there to pose as a human uh, force for different workers who are on Mars, whether they're uh, soldiers or whether if they're pleasure robots or whether they're uh, there to to act as uh, ciphers for people to be able to to understand how they're feeling about themselves, you know, act as therapists in a way. Uh, having Boston Dynamics create robots that can do as much as they can, having AI uh, injected into them and then controlled by a, a government agency and then sending those out to Mars is very close to what we're actually doing. So given the nature of the film with Blade Runner using androids as a way to uh, deal with things on different planets where humans either can't persist in outside of uh, the, the environments that they're in or just isn't safe enough and it's not worth sending humans out to do that. I could very much see how we would be doing that pretty, pretty soon here. It doesn't seem that far fetched. So as far as some of the things that are going on with the actual 
uh, replicants and the cloning. I wanted to talk a little bit about the cloning because in Blade Runner, this world has gotten to the point where most animals, if not all animals, uh, are endangered and a lot of them are being cloned or replicated and it comes down to that question uh, like the ship of Theseus if you replace every part of that ship will that ship still be a ship uh, or the ship of Theseus and much like with the animals in Blade Runner uh, or in the the book animals come at a premium real actual animals you have to be pretty well off to be able to afford actual animals so most of the animals that you will see in the world are actually clones based off their original creations and those clones while still beautiful and seem to be exactly what they should be are not considered the same and that is also part of the basis for the film a replicant can look act and be treated like a human but because they are technically a replicant they are not considered actually human and that is always what comes into question uh, with Blade Runner and whether or not we should be considering uh, androids or artificial intelligence the same or equal to humans do they are they should they be afforded the same rights as humans uh, given that their design and creation was made by humans one of the other questions that Tom wanted me to get into was does its concept the concept of the film itself of a dark future make sense uh and i think that is for me at least unequivocally yes i i do think it makes sense we're living in a world in blade runner where uh it's easy to see that cultures from different worlds or different continents uh have all kind of meshed together that it's it's understandable for us to run into areas where uh, our language and other languages in my our language I mean English uh, if you're understanding what I'm saying um, are mixed in with other languages like Chinese or Japanese with Spanish and Italian things like that are commonplace and multiple people should understand that with the idea of it being a dark future uh, that is not too far from current day we are currently going down a path where it is very easy for you to assume that if we continue to do what we're doing in the rainforest if we continue to uh, progress as far as ai and robotics is going then it is not too far from a future where we are running into a situation where cities are overpopulated because people have had to move out of rural areas because it's not sustainable because they have to live in smaller confined areas where they can get to resources quicker and better that they can't support larger networks of electricity because the re the fuel resources that we used to rely on are not being replaced with more natural means of energy, uh, more renewable energy, things like that. And because of that, we've uh, whittled down away some of the forests and the, the oceans have either risen or receded and we've lost uh, or we've uh, overfed the the uh, off of the seas and the trees and forests are starting to kill off multiple types of uh, animals and, and species and uh, genomes out there so it makes sense that in a world where we are living this dark dy dystopian future we could get there very easily it's not going to take a whole lot in fact most of it's going to take apathy which is probably one of the easiest things that i think the human race can uh, muster to do for for most of this um, i hope that we don't get to that point i like keeping this kind of a thing in film and in storytelling uh, and it serves as a way for us to remind each other that this is not the world we want to live in and 
and we should probably pay a little more attention to our actual world so that we don't get to that. The last question that Tom wanted to uh, pose as a discussion topic was, why do we consider this to be a foundational work of cyberpunk genre? And that one's a little bit tougher. Uh, I think that this film could offer a lot of different alternatives for what it's considered as far as genre. I think a, a futuristic noir or a sci-fi noir is probably a better uh, idea of what this is. I think cyberpunk itself uh, is actually gleaming more off of this than cyberpunk or than this is actually acting as a foundation for cyberpunk. I think what this film does is it gives us a a look at what a world could be in a cyberpunk future or a dystopian cyberpunk future where it is uh, always dark, it is always rainy, it is always crowded, it always feels like uh, you're not more than a few steps away from another human being because there's just no place for people to live. And because of that, you don't have those nice wide open streets with lots of cars. In fact, the cars have had to adjust to be up in the sky to be able to uh, just get around from place to place and it's it's easy to see like where you would pull the cyberpunk from that um when i think about cyberpunk i think of a lot of neon a lot of uh dystopian and anarchy uh and there's not too much in of that in this um there are neon signs everywhere there are definitely uh aspects of that in the in the film itself but this film tackles more serious topics than I think most cyberpunk genres really do, uh, unless you start getting into some of the deeper stories with the tabletop RPG and what you can craft uh, as a as an actual GM. Um, for example, Cyberpunk 2077 tackles the idea of immortality. What is immortality for V? What is immortality for uh, all of these these uh, mercs in Night City? And are they going to be remembered for what they do? Or are they actually trying to live forever as if you're the Arasaka heir to the company and you want to succeed your father, but he just won't die? And if he eventually ends up saving his own consciousness in a relic and then uses your body as a way of maintaining that eternal life, and you have that kind of die, die, die no, I can't think of the word, uh, you have that kind of balance between should you die a legend or do you live forever uh, in infamy? And I always I always, I always go back to that idea of the quote from uh, Dark Knight where you either die a hero or you live to see yourself become the villain. As far as foundational work goes, I will say that cyberpunk does a lot to try and emulate the atmosphere uh, and look of Blade Runner. I think uh, Ridley Scott was an amazing prodigy when it came to directing and I think he pushed a lot of buttons when it came to making films. Uh, he had been so used to crafting commercials where it's smaller, tighter areas and you have a lot more detail based on that, that when he looks at uh, crafting an entire town or city or world uh, in this cyberpunk genre, it falls on uh, the, the crafters to really try and create these really detailed, dense worlds. Uh, there's a lot to look at. And I think that that's one of the few things that 
Cyberpunk 2077 does well. It does well at trying to create a world that has a lot of detail. Um, if you have had a chance to check out The Ascent, uh, I think The Ascent actually excels better at this. I think The Ascent takes a lot more from Blade Runner and crafts a cyberpunk world around that than Blade Runner intended when it actually came out. I think uh, Blade Runner itself was just looking at a world where replicants are not considered human and you had to start questioning whether or not uh human being consciousness uh was was worthy of being considered human or if other things in this world uh that you should have empathy for uh should be considered human as well um i think the the setting in the background for blade runner is of consequence but does not necessarily dictate whether or not blade runner itself as a film would exist i think you could probably have the story and have that be in a different setting and have it conveyed just as well uh, i think the fact that this film is looking the way it does uh, does more for the cyberpunk genre than as a, instead of it actually being cyberpunk itself if that makes sense um, that's all I really had to share I hope you guys enjoyed uh, my side of this um, I'm sure Tom is going to have an amazing uh, bit of information to to share and his feelings on this and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this really interesting episode Have you ever wondered how deep the Elder Scrolls lore rabbit hole goes? Have you got a grasp of the basics and want to find out more about the universe? Reasoning Uncertainty is here to help you. We'll be mixing in philosophy, theology, and whatever other theory is useful with Elder Scrolls texts to untangle some of the biggest questions in the series, like what are Dragon Breaks? How does Chim work? Where did the Dwemer go? And more. Check us out at writteninuncertainty.com or find Written in Uncertainty on any podcatcher. Thanks for listening and catch you later in the grey maybe of Tamriel. All right, so it's the middle of the show, and I know this is a weird episode, so thanks for hanging in there with us, guys. Um, but this is the part where we get to thank our patrons, so thank you, patrons. You guys are amazing. Thank you for hanging in there with us uh, during these weird episodes where we both kind of record our own sections. But I, I wanted to make sure that you got an episode this week at least, so thanks for hanging in there. And if, you, if we've been helping you get through your day or you know, just making the world a better place while you drive to work or work at work or, you know, whatever, then please check out patreon.com slash cyberpunk lorecast and check out the different tiers and maybe you sign up, throw, toss us some, toss a coin to the Witcher. No, toss a coin to the, uh, cyberpunk. That doesn't make any sense either, man. I need to get over this cold. Um, but <laughs> could check things out and thank you to all of our patrons you guys are the best here let's let's get on with the rest of the show so i can talk about blade runner all right here we go all right so logan had some really good takes on this and i think we might have to follow up with this uh in person next week in order to kind of go back and forth a little bit as was my original intent um but here, let's okay so there's a few things i wanted to cover 
in my perspective on this, and I don't want to rehash too much about what he said. Um, I think he's absolutely right on when it comes to the themes, the the whole thing about what it means to be human. Uh, if you are a replicant and you feel like you're human, if you are questioning your memories, well, all of that stuff, I think he's absolutely spot on. I think all of that stuff still holds up. I think that those are foundational questions when it comes to the philosophy of what it means to be human, existentialism. I mean, there's there's aspects of that in in that. All of that stuff is absolutely wonderful. When it comes to the questions about um, how the film stands up as a film, I think that that is actually that's an that's a different question. I think the themes stand up. The film itself, um, the pace of the film feels very slow compared to modern films. And I kind of like that. It it feels almost alien compared to many, many uh, current films because the the pace of films continues to increase. Um, it's hard for us to watch a movie that is slow anymore. Uh, everything clips at, at such a faster pace. Uh, it, it's We have cuts all the time. Things just cut, 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 cut. In this movie, when you watch it, there are moments where you just are watching a scene and you can tell that the characters are talking, but the dialogue is very quiet until you get closer to them. And it's it's not filmed like a modern film is filmed at all. Um, the the um, the visual design of the film is very different than modern films uh logan mentioned the the detail in the scenes and that um there's just a lot of detail in in each of the the images and and i think that that's that's done on purpose and i like that i like that every scene has lots of things going on um the scenes in deckard's apartment there's a lot of stuff just laying all over the place everything is dense the obviously he mentioned that like they couldn't have anticipated the invention of the smartphone and things like that so um you know like <laughs> they put it, everything <laughs> when they zoom into the technology on the screens it's all like this uh analog like tape looking technology and it, yeah they figured out that we'd be able to you know have higher definition stuff and you zoom in and of course you can still see higher definition, but it's still in like low pixel screens and, and that kind of thing, which is kind of funny. But, um, you know, that stuff's a little bit weird, but kind of cool in its own way, I think, which is kind of neat. Um, the biggest thing about the aging of the film to me is the delivery of the lines. And it's almost as if the English that they are speaking in the film comes from a time previous to the 1980s. And I know that this film was, I mean, it was filmed at the time it was in the early 1980s or late 1970s. I don't know exactly the timing of the, the filming of it, but it doesn't sound like they are speaking during the early 1980s. Like you watch other things from that time period. And yeah, the, the speaking sounds a little antiquated to our ears, but it's not that much. Um, the way that some of the characters talk in this 
some of the things that they say and the the reactions that they have sound more like characters talking from the 1950s. There's, and I, I don't know if that is the film noir thing coming across, if they are purposely doing that in order for it to feel old to the 1980s ear, or if that is just aspects of the 1980s that were still around that don't usually get filmed. There's something about that I find odd and yet interesting. And I don't know if that is to make the film feel like the 1950s or if that was a projection into the future where they were showing. I, I want to come up with a specific example. So at the beginning of the film, when they are where there's the interview of the um, the android is being interviewed before he flips out and kills the guy interviewing him. He there's almost like a disconnect in the conversation that's happening and in his responses to the questions and this delay in the response, the the question, a question is being asked. And then the answer that's being given is almost not phrased in a way that makes sense to me naturally. If that makes sense, uh, I can't think of a good way to phrase this. If you watch it again, maybe that'll make sense. It just doesn't flow. There's a flow that doesn't exist in that conversation. And I have to wonder if that is inherent in the situation because of a disconnect in the nature of humanity, or if that is a, a symptom of the way the world works, or if that is just, you know, like, huh? Like th there's this thing where like a question is posed, there's like two or three beats of time and then there's kind of like a, huh, what kind of thing going on? I, maybe I'm strung up by that too much. I don't know. But that's just, I, I feel like there's just something there. I'll, I don't know. I'll just, I'll hold on to that for a minute and just kind of think about that. Let me know what you think about that. Um, so the question about, does the concept of the dark future make sense? I think it does. And this is one of the things that I, too, am concerned about. And this is something that Captain Logan brought up. I am concerned that we are at the end of a bubble that we in the Western world are living uh, or <laughs> we and I guess I should I should condition this a little bit. We in the Western world who are privileged those of us who are in the middle class or upper middle class or upper class of society in the Western world are in a privileged bubble based on where we were born into and the, uh, the benefits of society based on the advantages that we've reaped from things that our forefathers took from other people and all those, you know, whatever's. Because we live in a society that is more comfortable and um, more privileged than anybody else has ever lived in throughout all of humanity, except for the aristocracies of some societies. And that is 100% true. You study history. That is 100% true. Throughout most of history, 99% of human beings have lived in absolute squalor in terrible conditions, in 
um, situations where they've had to work their fingers to the bone in order to just have enough food to eat, in order to provide for their families, have had no chance for vacations, anything like that. You look through most of history, the majority of history, and this idea of like the 20th century Western society, nuclear family who can have, you know, two and a half children and a car in the garage and can go on vacations and all of that kind of stuff is that's a bubble health insurance, (laughs) all of that stuff. It is a bubble and that we're coming to the end of that. And if the world continues in the direction it does, as it comes to things like the pollution of the world, global warming, um, the growth and power of the (laughs) corporations and the organizations that run our countries, not our countries themselves, because our countries themselves are the people and the people of most of our countries are good, hardworking people. The organizations that run our countries tend to be different than the people who are actually the people of our countries. But most of the organizations that run our countries are power hungry and abuse the good, kind people of our countries. Um, And I don't want to get too political with all of this, but all of that stuff means that we are heading closer and closer and closer to a dark future, a future where the distance between the haves and the have nots is more in line with the way the world was 500, a thousand years ago than the way the world was 30 years ago in Western society. And I have a feeling that with the advent of technology and the abuses of that technology and the abuses of power that the people who have that technology and the know-how to use it will make use of it and they will find ways to keep people down and to abuse the legal systems and the, as we get to a post capitalist post democracy society the people will in charge will figure out how to leverage those systems in order to keep people down it's what happens time and time and time again is that people figure out out how to game the system and then we have to reinvent the system study history it happens over and over again that's why there are revolutions after every significant period of time where the people have to just figure it clear the slate and figure it out again unfortunately (laughs) this is a bigger topic we don't have a new landmass to move to um but maybe we will maybe we'll move to the moon or mars or something but that that's a whole nother thing and that of course creates another weird dark future and Who knows? Maybe we'll get replicants on the Mars and then we'll actually be living in Blade Runner. So, yeah, maybe it does actually make sense. Maybe this is where we are headed and could be a very interesting future indeed. Now, why do we consider this to be a foundational work for cyberpunk for the cyberpunk genre? Or do we? I think we do. I I think this tends to be pointed to often. I think what we get often in cyberpunk tends to be a little bit flashier, a little bit more um, stylized than what we see in Blade Runner. But Blade Runner, I think, sets the palette for 
the dark hopelessness of it, the sense that the city chews you up and spits you out, all of that, I think, really does set the tone for what we get in cyberpunk. Um, I think that is the foundation for where we see this going. Uh, otherwise, it's stylistically different. And that might be because this was created at the beginning of the 1980s and we didn't quite have the full effects of the full like 1980s punk aesthetic. It, we were at the beginning of that. We weren't at the full mid 80s, early 90s fruition of the punk aesthetic, which tends to be included in a lot of cyberpunk uh, visual design. Um, we also didn't have, we don't have very much in the way of, uh, visuals when it comes to this movie of like, um, augments, you know, like characters with like, you know, robotic looking arms and, you know, those kinds of things. We don't get a lot of that in this movie. Um, but we could have, it just isn't included too much, which is interesting. Now there's a whole lot else to cover in here. The whole dilemma that Deckard has. Um, there's a lot of very understated stuff. There's the the way that the romance is communicated on screen, which again seems very antiquated. I get what they're what they're where they're going with it. Like I get what they're explaining. Um but I it would be interesting to see this movie done well or a series, you know, what would be really interesting is a series based on the book, like Lo the book Logan was talking about redone well in a like true to the book kind of way, like something like the expanse. I think that would be really cool. I wish we could get something like that instead of a, a single movie, um, because I think if they would, if they were to do like a reboot movie, we would get something, you know, hyper stylized and like, you know, made to sell box office tickets rather than just do something really well done. And that's what I want to see. Anyway, those are my thoughts so far on this. Um, I know I've got some more thoughts as well. I think maybe Logan and I will have to carry this on a little bit further. I would love to highlight some of your thoughts on this as well. So please write into the Robots Radio Discord. Check out the Cyberpunk Lorecast channel on there. Drop some thoughts in. Send us some thoughts on Twitter, wherever you guys want to reach out. We'll, we'll take a look at it. And, um, if we get any really cool thoughts, we'll share it on the next episode. Um, I hope you guys are into this whole branching out from cyberpunk and cyberpunk 2077 because, um, it was brought up that, you know, it is in the intro. We did mention some other dystopian worlds and things like that. So I am open up to, uh, bring, you know, expanding out the concept of the show a little bit. Um, but only if that's something that you guys are into as well. So, um, but of course, we're never going to leave cyberpunk, especially as we get closer and closer to potential DLC and other things coming to 2077. So, all right. Well, thanks for hanging in there with us, guys. Hopefully I will continue to feel better. I'm feeling a little bit better this morning. Hopefully that will continue and I will be able to join you guys again live on Sunday night uh, this coming week. So thanks for hanging out. I'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. This show is a part of the Robots Radio Network. Smart podcasts 
super interesting people. If you'd like to help support the show, please tell a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to get in contact, please send an email to cyberpunklorecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at cyberpunklore. Also, join the community on the Robots Radio Discord. The link is in the show notes. The music on the show was written and performed by The Midnight and was used with their permission. Go check them out at themidnightofficial.com. Until next time, stay safe in Night City. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. In a world where solid-state electronics and vacuum tubes are still meta, people never stop loving atomic-powered everything. A chosen 500 stepped inside a subterranean vault to be spared the nuclear horror of the inevitable Great War. 25 years later, they emerge after the fallout settles to retake Appalachia. Among them, two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart in their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of two, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope, but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. So many nukes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast, rated R. Now streaming on your holotape player podcasty thing. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amarin. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2, coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Ever wanted to be a content creator, but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against, as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.